1: This work cannot be transactional. You're building relationships. And it's that community building piece what keeps these donors.
0: Welcome back to What The Fundraising. I'm your host, Mallory Erickson, and this podcast is for impact leaders and change makers who are looking to fundamentally change the way they lead and fundraise. This episode is brought to you by our friends at GiveButter. Today, I'm interviewing Sarah Lomelin. Sarah is the founding CEO of Philanthropy Together. She is working to diversify and democratize philanthropy by creating the infrastructure needed for the Giving Circle model to flourish in all communities. You might have heard her name recently because of her incredible TED Talk on how to disrupt philanthropy. In this episode, Sarah describes her approach to being an authentic, magnetic fundraiser with an abundance mindset, instead of a transactional fundraiser in a scarcity mindset. She also talks about why giving circles are so successful at fundraising and building strong, authentic donor relationships. She is giving away some incredible tips and strategies for talking to donors, creating safe spaces for connection and transparency, and increasing both the effectiveness and the efficiency of your fundraising efforts. This conversation gave me so much energy, and I know it's going to do the same for you. So let's dive in so you can meet Sarah. Welcome, everyone. I am so excited to be here today with Sarah Lomalin. Sarah, welcome to What the Fundraising.
1: Thank you so much, Mallory. I'm super excited to be here with you. Thank you for the invitation.
0: I really loved our first conversation. I felt like there was so much energy in the room talking about the way we both look at giving and community building and fundraising. So why don't we start with you just telling everyone a little bit about you, your incredible work. For those of you who don't know her yet or haven't seen her incredible TED Talk, I know so many people listening to this are chomping at the bit for us to dive in, but why don't you give everyone a little background?
1: Yes, of course. So I'm originally from Mexico City. I moved to the U.S. 26 years ago. So I have been most of my life here. My background is not in philanthropy. So I started in communications and then in a financial institution. And then I had my own business for a little bit. I was making baby sleeping bags for car seats and strollers. Yeah, super random. And then about 12 years ago, I started working in philanthropy and specifically in fundraising. And for me, it was a totally new world, learning everything on the job, and I just fell in love with it, but not with the fundraising per se, but as a total extrovert for the chance of meeting new people, listening to new stories, just figuring out what moved people to give to different causes and different communities. I worked for eight years at the Latino Community Foundation in San Francisco, and I loved every single minute there. I started the Latino Giving Circle Network, which is the only Latino network in the country. And during those years, I started getting connected to other leaders of Giving Circle Networks across the country. And I'm going to just step back a little bit to tell the audience I know most everybody knows what a giving circle is but some people may not know a giving circle is a group of people with shared values that get together to create change and this creating change is really important for me because I would like every single giving circle is to move outside from charity to change, to really engage with communities. Giving circles are not the same as crowdfunding. Giving circle members are not your regular donors, our 84% of giving circles give locally. Giving circle members are always extremely informed in the causes that they care about. They're educated in the community that they serve, and they engage a lot more actively than just by donating their financial resources. They give their time, their talent, their testimony, their ties, and their treasure. Going back to a little bit of me, after working at Latino Community Foundation and meeting all these leaders from different giving circle networks, in 2017, a group of us got together to dream what was needed for the collective giving field. And with a small gift from the Gates Foundation, we embarked in a co-design project during a year to really involve the Given Circle leaders, giving Circle members, funders, researchers, academics, and to dream what was possible. And out of that co-design project, Philanthropy Together was born. And Philanthropy Together is the organization that I lead and we launched in the middle of the pandemic in April of 2020. And our mission is to democratize and diversify philanthropy through the power of collective giving.
0: Okay, I love that you gave some clarification around what a giving circle is and what a giving circle is not and the difference between the donors who are inside a giving circle. Because I think a lot of times people think of giving circles just in terms of the structure of how gifts move into the organization, as opposed to the structure of the group itself, like here's a collective group of people who gave us a donation for X, they all contributed to that total amount. But that structure of money movement could happen in a number of different ways. And they're not all giving circles.
1: Totally, you got it. Yes, because crowdfunding is collective giving. There's also collaboratives, collaborative funds, donor collaboratives, and there are donor circles, right? Many nonprofits have a donor circle that maybe at a certain donation level, and it's a group of donors that get together and maybe they meet in a couple of events a year, and the money that they give goes to the same nonprofit or the same organization. And that's great because even with donor circles, you can also include some of the aspects of a giving circle. But if we want to be very strict in a giving circle, you have four different components that make a giving circle. So the first one is to create belonging. So it's this sense of community and and getting together with like-minded individuals. The second is to open space for discourse. That is something that I love about Giving Circles and every single type of collective giving, because you hear from different perspectives. When you join a Giving Circle, you know that your individual decision is going to take a step back. It's going to be in the back burner because you are joining a group and you will be okay with the decision of the group, right? And for me, this is important because it's a practice on democracy. like just hearing different perspectives, learning in the process, and then coming together to a decision. The third part of a giving circle is trust, and that is where we want everybody to move. There is a lot of trust in the circle members. There's trust in the process, because in a lot of giving circles, the pooled fund is there before you even know where the money is going to go to. So there's trust in the process. There is trust among members and also, you know, hopefully trust in the leaders on the ground, like the people that are doing the work in community. And then the last, but for me, the most important is acting in abundance and going beyond the dollars. And this is the engagement part where it's not just about the money that you moved as a giving circle, but it's how else, Can you open doors for those organizations that you support? How can you advocate for them? How can you share their story in social media? How can you go and volunteer with them or join their board? So all the other ways on how you can engage with something that you care about.
0: Okay. You can tell me if you don't want to talk about what I'm about to ask, but I can't help think about it. So I'm going to ask this. You can say yes or no. We can always go in a different direction. I love hearing those pillars and there's so much inside each of them that I think are so important for both an organization having healthy relationships with their donors and for individuals and people to find meaningful ways to participate in society and build the world that they ultimately want to see. We're seeing inside the sector this big conversation happening between donor-centric and community-centric fundraising principles. And Giving Circles are really unique to me in the sense that it is an activity for and by donors. Like it is inherently donor-centric in certain ways because it is about a group of donors coming together and making investment decisions together, collective decisions together But in terms of how they work with the organization, it feels incredibly community centric in terms of the commitment to community impact, the removal of individual ego from the donation process. Like it feels like this very community centric activity that still takes into account the experience of the donor. And I feel like sometimes in this tension between donor centric and community centric. We feel like we can't do community centric fundraising or have community centric experiences and still keep in mind and account for the human experience of the donor. But giving circles to me feels like this healthy way of doing that. And I'm curious what you think about that.
1: You're totally right. I should start with saying that when you know one giving circle, you know one giving circle, right? Because the model is extremely flexible. And everybody can invent their own or create their own rules, right? So there are giving circles that are very traditional, very donor-centric. People get together, they decide, they give, that's it. They invite the organization to maybe once a year, whatever. There are other giving circles that are actually extremely progressive and involving the community voice in decision-making too. For example, in my years during Latino Community Foundation, Many times, like at some point I was managing 23 Giving Circles. And many times after giving grants, the executive director for one of the organizations would call me and say, hey, I love this and I want to be part of the Giving Circle as a donor. So we came full circle because those voices in the community are extremely important to have them inside the Giving Circle. So we have very... Diverse giving circles. Like we were around the table because what united us at that moment was the issue area that we cared about. But we had people in their early twenties to their seventies, coming from different backgrounds, different immigration stories, different industries. So extremely diverse. And then here you have kind of like a mix. And then they're giving circles that are not even making the decisions. They're pulling the money. They're pulling the funds, but they are inviting members of the community to decide where those funds go. So a lot like participatory grant making, they get those experts in the community, those members from the community to make the decision. And they are, as donors, they are putting themselves aside in the decision making process. So there are many different models If you ask me, you know, I love the idea and this is something that is is not mine. good friend and colleague of mine from Latino Community Foundation said it all the time. It's like we need to start looking at our grantee partners, our community partners as our family. Look people in the eye and give as you would give a loved one, right? Because there's trust and you blur the power dynamics. And I feel that more and more giving circles are moving towards a lot more transparent, progressive, and trust-based practices.
0: Okay. I love hearing that. And there's this interesting piece like for those giving circles that have moved in those progressive directions that perhaps aren't even making the decisions about the giving. My guess is that the donors who are a part of them still have a positive affinity for being a part of it. Like they still feel good. And so what are the elements when we're able to remove, because this is super interesting to me. There's a lot of beliefs in the philanthropy giving world that if you remove ego too much, you lose the donors, like essentially. And what giving circles I think prove is that's not true. There are ways for people to have positive emotional experiences, cement memory, get all the dopamine they need without power. And so it's fascinating to me. So tell me what are the pieces that create that identity and belonging that we can learn from in terms of building healthier relationships with donors?
1: I think the most important part from all my years in fundraising is this work cannot be transactional. You're building relationships. And it's that community building piece what keeps these donors, even if they're not making the decision, it's the community building piece. The success of Giving Circles is because they are extremely social, especially, you know, right after the pandemic. Like, we are hungry for that human touch, that community. And just getting together around the table, sharing a meal, sharing a glass of wine, learning from each other. There are so many byproducts of a Giving Circle. Like the money out of the door is the least important one. Of course, it's important because in the past 20 years, Giving Circles have moved $1.3 billion. So it's not little change. But the way that these relationships among members and among organizations and partners and initiatives get created, I think that is what keeps Giving Circles getting stronger. And also the learning part. There is a lot of learning. It's not coming and doing, contributing to a crowdfunding campaign that you go, you give because your cousin told you to give or they send you a link and then five minutes later, you don't even remember what you gave to. So in a given circle, you are learning not only about the causes, but about the challenges, the opportunities you're getting in constant communication. And at the same time, you are also building friendships with the members of the circle too.
0: Yeah. Wow. I love that so much of this tracks with what we've been learning about that people identify more with causes than organizations and we've been i've been hearing and reading some statistics recently that like the identity of donors tends to be more cause based these days than organizational based and i don't know exactly how that gets measured but to me giving circles also and the growing nature of giving circles indicates that element to it I'm curious like that abundance piece. So for a fundraiser, and you've been on all sides of this, so I'm curious sort of how you think about this. I feel like there's so much language in our sector that makes it so hard for fundraisers to feel abundant. There's just so much constant language about scarcity, and it's really hard in the midst of that and in the midst of capitalism and in the midst of so much suffering too like there is so much suffering in our world and all of those things deregulate our nervous system and they make it really hard for us to be our most grounded embodied selves which is where abundance lives and I think where connection lives and belonging lives and so for fundraisers We talk a lot about abundance or sufficiency or moving towards abundance, but I think like in their bodies, they like have such a hard time even feeling that way. Do you have any mantras, tips, strategies, things that you've found even when you've personally noticed scarcity in yourself that help you move into more of that abundance mindset that's such a key piece of the giving circle model
1: i love this question because yes and you didn't say this but adding you have your board on top of you like oh my god we're not going to be able to get the funds that we need so you are feeling like anxious like where do i raise this money and then this whole narrative of well you know it takes the same amount of time to cultivate a person that is going to give you $20 or someone that is going to give you $2 million, right? So a lot of our sector is focusing on the high net worth and ultra high net worth individuals because why bother with the small donors? Well, I am going to totally disband them. Like we cannot as a country, as humanity stop Focusing on the everyday donor and the everyday people. Because guess what? That community engagement, that learning, that sense of belonging that people used to get from church, like there's a decline of people going to church, right? How are people engaging? Giving circles, collective giving is an incredible way to do this. And my big mantra would be do not assume who can give and who cannot. I am Latina. I spent many years with an African-American colleague and a nation american colleague, literally we call it the traveling show, to many conferences where we were invited to talk about how do you engage diverse donors, right? You know, we don't come from another planet. We have been completely invisible from traditional philanthropy. Fundraisers are not looking at us. Why not? Because they think we cannot give. I had many, many members of those Latino giving circles that said, you are the very first person who asked me to give. If we as fundraiser will ask more and stop assuming who is going to give and who is not, we will be very surprised. Sometimes someone that may be given to you $80 a month, $80 a month, if you go and ask, that person can be giving you $10,000, $50,000 a year. That happened to me. And many times those young donors, the ones that are just getting started in philanthropy, they're getting excited. If you cultivate them, if you believe in them, those are the people that are going to be in the long term in positions of power, of opening doors for your organization with their employers, with the foundation. Never assume. I had many times, you know, people telling me like, oh, you shouldn't invest your time in that person. He's too junior." No, stick with people because you may be very pleasantly surprised.
0: Okay. There's so many things that you have recently said that I just want to double click on really quickly. What I hear you saying in that last piece around as a sector, as a society, we cannot lose sight of the everyday donor. To me, that is so connected to this idea that fundraising is the work. I think we have long put like fundraising over here and then our programs over here. And we think about fundraising as this like necessary evil or a means to the end. And what I think giving circles really demonstrate to me is another example of like the fundraising, the movement of money is the work. Inviting people in, building community, building identity, galvanizing support around issues that we care about. That is the work of our organizations too. And it cannot be this up here separate on the shelf. And then the program work is the only work that we're doing if we're fundraising right. And I really hear you saying that too. You're also bringing up this, I'm going to go back to something you said a little while ago that finally sort of hit me why I was holding on to it when you talked about not being transactional. So I think, and I'd be curious what you think about this. I feel like in this sector, we use that word transactional to mean the same thing as talk about money. Like when we say don't be transactional, what we're really saying is don't talk about money. And so we bury the lead that we actually want to have a conversation about investment and what we can do together. We go out sort of saying we just want to build a relationship, but inside we are like, is this person going to give me money? And so <laughs> then they then they can feel that, right? They can feel that there's like a misalignment between what you said you were there for and what they feel like you're there for. And there's this conversation that we're having, but then this conversation that we're not having versus what's so amazing to me about giving circles is like, there's no mystery. Like we're here to pool our resources, to make a positive impact. Money is not a dirty word. It is not a bad word. We are all coming here with like our eyes open And now that we have that out of the way, that that's what we're actually here to do. Let's talk about how we find alignment and how we move money in ways that feel good. And we find organizations that work. And I feel like nonprofit fundraisers could be doing the same thing to say, look, my ultimate goal would be that if we're in alignment, we find a way to work together. That's not going to happen today. We're just getting to know each other. I want to build a relationship. I want to figure out what you're looking to do in this community. I want to tell you more about what we're doing. But If down the line that seems like we're aligned and we want the same thing, then I hope we'd be open to having a conversation about that when the time is right. But there's no like mystery around, like, we're not just trying to become best friends.
1: Donors, everybody, everybody you appreciate honesty. And when you as a fundraiser are calling someone to say, Hey, let's have a coffee. They know you're going to ask (laughs) for money, right? They know. And I think you need to be transparent. We all as fundraisers, we need to listen more than what we talk. And I cannot stress this enough. And I think you and I spoke about this last time, right? Like that the way to build relationships is to be authentic. At some point with the 23 Giving Circles that I had, I have 500 people and I knew everybody's kids' names and birthdays and who was going on vacation and who didn't. Why? Because I care about those folks. A lot of them are now very good friends of mine. And we started this relationship in the Giving Circles. And also because the Giving Circle creates this space where people can be also very vulnerable and you share things, like even opening up with an icebreaker. And usually we ask the question of who inspires you to give? What are those personal values and the values that guide your giving? Who inspire those values in you? And that opens up these very deep conversations. Like there are many giving circle meetings that there's a lot of tears. But it's tears of joy and sharing and finding, you know, a common ground among people. So that is why I totally love about collective giving. And what I was saying that we cannot just look the other way and not see everyday donors if we need more people to care, period. We cannot become numb of what happens in our backyards, in our neighborhoods, And guess what? All of us focusing on a few billionaires and millionaires, that is not helping. And it's very, very alarming. What I'm saying is that it's very scary that every year these reports come that, yes, the amount of dollars in philanthropy are going up, but the number of donors has gone down. And we cannot let that happen for society, for democracy.
0: Yeah, I think it's such an important point. And a moment ago when you shared that question around what inspires you to give, that's a question that I haven't heard. You know, we see these sort of routine questions thrown around around what to say at a donor meeting. And I don't think that's a question that I've actually seen a lot of places. I feel like a lot of what I see being suggested is sort of going straight to the mission, like narrows the focus of the conversation to why did you give to us the first time or how did you get involved in our work? And my guess is you have some amazing questions that are broader than that, that actually give people a much deeper sense of the underlying drive and desire and connection of the individuals. Do you have any other suggestions on questions that Really create opportunity for vulnerability and connection around giving that you would recommend. First, T of Greater Akron needed to switch from an outdated donor management system to something more user-friendly. With Bloomerang, they found that and more. Executive Director Josh Smith commented, We love Bloomerang. It saved time.
1: It's helped us raise more funds.
0: By investing in a donor database that they actually loved using, First T of Greater Akron was able to raise more funds and continue creating lasting change in their community. To listen to the full interview with First T of Greater Akron, visit bloomerang.com backslash what the fundraising or click the link in the
1: show notes. Yeah, I think the conversations about values is key. Because you start talking about, okay, what are those values that guide your giving? And then you jump on the who influenced those values or who did you get those values from? And it's usually your family, a teacher, and that opens that person's mind into sharing more about their life and what they care about. We have done several activities and exercises where we ask people to bring a picture of someone that inspires them to be involved in this work or to give to a particular cause. Anything that you can get people to close the space gap with you and really, again, look each other in the eyes as people, not as fundraiser, as a donor, as people that both of us care about the same thing is key. Another thing that I learned the first few years into fundraising, right, I used to get very anxious. If people tell me, no, my God, what am I doing wrong? And someone said, don't take it personal. If they are saying no, first of all, they're not saying no, 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 never. They're saying not <laughs> yet. <laughs> Unless they tell you, you know, I don't care about this. It's not yet. And then if someone says no, they're not saying it to you. And changing that narrative into Instead of coming with the scarcity mindset of asking, you invite people to be part of the incredible mission of your organization.
0: yeah, it's so interesting how much fundraising can like shift the narrative on certain things in our head. I was thinking, you know if you're having a birthday party and you invite a hundred people to the birthday party and fifty people come or sixty people come you're probably much more likely to remember who came to the birthday party than the people who didn't come to the birthday party because they came to the birthday party. But I feel like in fundraising, we focus on the people who didn't come to the birthday party and we like lose sight of it. And we sort of obsess around like, why didn't so-and-so come to the party? And there is just this shift that can happen in like, these are invitations. This is not personal rejection, although it might feel like that. And if it feels like that, like acknowledge and validate that that's how it feels. And just because something feels true does not mean it is true. And so even though it might feel true that this was personal, it is not actually personal. And so I just think that's such good advice.
1: Yeah. And another thing that it sounds super simplistic, but I think that a lot of times we forget, right? Don't assume that even though a donor has been given you for many years, they know your mission by heart. So every time you sit with that donor, remind them about your mission, remind them about your programs or share a couple of stories. Because sometimes we forget to do that or at an event, the person that comes to the microphone Starts talking without introducing themselves because they feel, well, you know, I'm the executive director. Everybody knows me. Well, guess what? Maybe no. So those little things that you can, you need to repeat your mission. You need to always bring people back to why are they there? If they are in in a fundraising event, that they are at a house party, why are they there?
0: That is Such good advice for so many reasons, but I just think about the way that that builds more safety and inclusion for people. I think about how I've been at events like that where somebody didn't introduce themselves and I don't know who they are, and I immediately feel on the outside. Everybody knows something that I don't know. Like I'm not really supposed to be here. This is for people who, and so just how much practices like that. And you can say, like, I know so many people in the room might be familiar with X already, but I want to take a moment because we're so grateful to have so many new faces here. And so it's such good advice. And I feel like there's this word that keeps coming up for me recently. And when I met you, I was like, oh my gosh, she is the epitome of this, (laughs) which is just like magnetism, like magnetic energy. Like there's certain people... (laughs) there are certain people that you meet or that you talk to and fundraisers that I've seen. And I'm like, they are magnetic. Like they are showing up in a way that is an open invitation for people to connect with them. And I really think that that has such an impact on how safe people feel to connect with you. And I'm curious, like even how that resonates with you, or if there are things that you feel like have been important in your life, to allow you to show up as your full self and open to connection in that way?
1: First of all, thank you for the the compliment. (laughs) You know, at the beginning, I didn't study to be a fundraiser. I was not in philanthropy. Actually, I think I shared this with you last time that when I started at Latino Community Foundation, I was like, I have never done fundraising in my life. I have never worked for a nonprofit. And my then husband gave me the non-profit for dummies yellow book to read <laughs> before my first day of work so I, I here i'm reading all this and i get into lcf and the day after i go back to my husband and i said guess what this is not a regular non-profit it's a foundation and he's like and what is that and i'm like i don't know yet but i'm <laughs> i'm finding out so the fact that i didn't come from philanthropy or a foundation background. And an amazing colleague of mine was not coming from that background either, allowed us to do a lot of things outside the box. At the beginning, out of pure ignorance, we didn't know the lingo. We didn't know the protocols. We didn't know anything, but that gave us a competitive advantage of people remember us. We used to send emails full of love and flowers and emojis, right? And at that time where no one was using emojis, (laughs) we have these calls with funders, potential funders, and start with, hey, Mallory, how's your heart feeling today? How are you feeling? What do you have for breakfast? People were caught off guard because they were like, oh my God, we were sending handwritten notes with pictures that we were sending to Walgreens to print. And we were cutting up pictures and (laughs) sending thank you pictures. And suddenly we are meeting at a funder's office and there it was, our handwritten picture, a card, right? So in all this sector, you need to be rememberable. You need to do something that funders will remember and donors will remember. And I feel that you can make anyone give to your organization or your cause once out of pure, like, what, stop it. I don't want you to ask me anymore. Here you go. <laughs> but the secret is having that person giving you a second time because that means that person is passionate about what you're doing and you have established a relationship. And that's hard. And people can smell from a mile if you are treating them as a checkbook like how many times you hear from even you if you are given to different organizations you have your favorites right and who are those favorites the the organizations that keep you informed the organizations that also try to engage you in other ways those are the organizations that you want to be near them
0: yeah I recently interviewed, it's coming out in a few weeks, this woman, Carol Robbins, who wrote a book around connection. And she talks about how one of the main ways that we can connect with people is when we are fully known and when we allow somebody else to be fully known. And so I feel like that you're talking about that in so many different ways, which is like, how do we show up as more of our real selves, less of our performative perfectionist Because we cannot connect to that. It makes us feel safe because it makes us feel like then maybe we won't ever be criticized. But it's also not a place we can connect from. And then to give other people the opportunity to be fully known for more than the check that they're writing is just the key to actually building a relationship.
1: Totally. And actually, I had this conversation with a young woman that was working with me at some point. She asked, am I going to this event like as an attendee or as I'm going like representing the organization? And I said, the fact that you're asking me that is wrong. Like, you know, I show up. I have the jersey on all the time. I have Mm. the team, the team's jersey all the time, not because I am a workaholic. I'm crazy, whatever. No. Because I am so passionate about what I'm doing that that passion, it's in every single pore of my body. So first advice for anybody, you know, listening to us is if you as the fundraiser are not completely passionate about the mission of your organization, find another job. Because that passion needs like, you know, people can see it. You need to reflect that. And you cannot fake that. So there is no on the clock or off the clock. It's like people know what I do because it's giving circles. I am part of many giving circles in my free time. I work with giving circles because I love it.
0: Yeah. I know I recently said to my husband, because before we met, I was 100% a workaholic and had very bad boundaries and a very unhealthy relationship to work. And when we started dating, he was like, that's really a non-negotiable for me, that we have sacred time together and that you are not working all the time. And so I worked very hard to adjust a lot of my lifestyle, which was very good for me too. It was not like for him, but it was a good accountability piece. But now today, I'm always thinking about my work. Now, I'm not thinking about my business. I'm not thinking about, am I going to get more clients? But I think about fundraisers and this sector constantly, constantly. And I recently said to him, do you think I've fallen back into my like workaholic tendencies because I'm just constantly problem solving around like, what do fundraisers need? What's getting in their way here? Like, I just cannot turn it off, but it's like coming from a place of passion, not scarcity, not like I better do, 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 because if I don't, then I'm not good enough or I'm not valuable enough. It's like, this is so important to me. And it is in every cell of who I am. There's no room I walk into where this piece of me doesn't come to. It's not always the center of the moment, but it's always in me. And so I, I love what you said, because I think that is such an important reminder for fundraisers. And I think Sometimes fundraisers get tripped up for those who are listening to this, who are like, okay, like I'm all in on the mission, but where I get tripped up is around like the programs. And I'm curious what you would say to this too. I feel like I hear a lot from fundraisers, like that program isn't ready to be fundraised for yet. Like we don't know enough about blank, or I feel nervous representing a certain thing. As a fundraiser, because I have some questions actually around how effective it is on the ground right now. I feel like we're in this evaluation phase and we don't totally know what the outcomes are. And so that makes me nervous as a fundraiser in terms of representing it. And that's the letting go of perfectionism and where transparency is really valuable. But I'm curious what other advice you'd have to a fundraiser that feels that tension.
1: Something that helped me a lot is try not to work in silos be very close to your program colleagues. You know, we were a tiny, tiny, tiny foundation. And I didn't have that relationship with the grantees. Like I was in, in charge of the donors and then a colleague was in charge of the community partners. And at some point, I started going to the organizations and meeting the leaders and being there and seeing the programs. It gives you another level of understanding, like really going and experiencing it. Because... You can never talk about a program if you haven't seen it or see the faces of the people, the clients, the people that are your organization is serving. You need to be there. Take mm-hmm. the time. Like I, at some point I was like blocking the mornings of one day a week to go and visit the different organizations that we were supporting to meet everybody.
0: I love that advice. And for the fundraiser who's like, I don't have time because da, da, da. Make the time. time. Make the time. Because it's gonna make your other time so much more valuable. And our donor meeting is not like equivalent to all our donor meetings and you're gonna have a much more effective and impactful and connected donor meeting when you have those stories to tell than if you don't. And so when people think about how can I make my work more effective or efficient, it is in those things we say we don't have time for that makes our work so much more effective and efficient and all of those things. So, okay, I could talk to you forever. Is there any question I have not asked you that I should have asked you?
1: I think no, but I think Everybody, and that's the other thing, everybody should be part of a giving circle. It doesn't have to be with your colleagues or for work. Like if your organization is not starting a giving circle, join one with your cousins, your friends, your high school friends from 20 years ago. It's something that you are going to love and you are going to see the benefits that can bring to your cause, to your organization. But first, you need to experience it. So we have like a big global directory of given circles. There are like 4,000 given circles there already. Now we're in the process of cleaning that directory, but there are about a good number of given circles. And you can put your given, your zip code or issue area and you get a bunch of giving circles near you.
0: Amazing. Thank you so much for joining me today. Where else can folks go to find you, connect with you? And I'll make sure all the
1: links are below as well. Perfect, philanthropytogether.org. All the programs that we give are open source, are free of charge. We are having the We Give Summit in May, which is a virtual summit. It's about three days long. We get like a thousand people from around the world. A- amazing content and amazing keynotes. So join us for that. We have an equity and justice in collective giving series. Everybody can also join. We have webinars every month and yeah, a bunch of trainings. And if you want to learn more about what is a Giving Circle or you want to send it to some of your donors or your board or whoever to explain the model, there is a website that it's called whatisagivingcircle.com that we have it in English, Spanish, Mandarin, and German. It has been a good tool to just understand the model a little bit. Better.
0: Amazing. I will make sure that is below as well. Thank you so much for this conversation.
1: Thank you so much, Valerie. Thank you so much for having me.
0: All right. There is so much inside this episode. I hope you are as fired up as I am, but I want to double click on a few of my very top takeaways. Number one, I love the four components of giving circles to create belonging to open space for discourse, trust between members in leaders and in the process, and acting in abundance, going beyond the dollars. Number two, I thought it was fascinating to learn that 84% of Giving Circle members give locally. They're very informed about the causes that they care about, they're educated in the community they serve, and they're engaged more actively than the majority of donors. Number three, Giving circles are so successful because they're community-centric while also boosting the donor's experience through their giving circle identity and network. It's a form of social fundraising that builds community, connection, and opportunities for learning, which is what keeps donors engaged and committed to the cause without taxing the organization itself. Number four, to feel more abundant Try Sara's mantra for preventing a scarcity mindset. Do not assume who can give and who cannot. Ask more, assume less, and you will be pleasantly surprised. Number five, when building donor relationships, listen more than you talk. Be authentic and caring when connecting to donors. Show up as your full self so donors can too. And number six, When you engage with donors, remind them of their why, their mission, and their values. And lastly, number seven, create moments that your donors will remember. We've talked about this on other podcasts too, but getting dopamine flowing really helps increase donor retention, memory, and relationship to the organization. Okay, for additional takeaways and tips inside this episode, head on over to malloryerickson.com backslash podcast to grab the full show notes and resources now. You'll also find more information there about Sarah and our amazing sponsors, Give Butter. Thank you for spending this time with us today. If you enjoyed this episode, we would love it if you would give it a rating and review and share it with a friend. I am so grateful for all of my listeners and the good hard work you're doing to make our world a better place. And if you miss me between episodes, stop by and say hello on Instagram under what the fundraising underscore. Have a great day and I'll see you tomorrow for the next episode in this incredible mini series with Give Butter.